His glory fills the heavens and the earth. That's, that's the picture. The picture of the throne, the creatures, the fire, the emeralds, the rainbow, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ sustains heaven and earth, even in the corrupted state that we're in, even in the fallen and broken state that we're in. There's nothing outside of his control. Nothing is going not according to plan so far as he is concerned. And that is the message of the rainbow in the first place. As Noah is given this sign that no matter how bad it looks, the flood's not coming back. No matter how bad it looks, the only way the world gets destroyed again is by fire when Jesus comes back. That should give you great confidence as a Christian in a world where everyone's afraid the world's going to blow up in five years because of for millions of different things and not because of the things that everyone else thinks is the problem. So if we're going to blow it up, we're going to fight over it until we blow it up. But the thing is, we can't blow it up. Not really. I mean, we might blow up a lot, but humanity is going to survive, and the church of Jesus Christ is going to survive. That's the promise of the rainbow. As much as anyone flies it around, we should believe it all the more, because it sure looks like they're calling down fire with the rest of what they're doing. They're asking for it. They're saying, send down fire. Here, rainbow, we dare you. Now they're changing that rainbow. Notice they're changing the colors. They're taking them away. What happens when there's no more rainbow? Well, we got it. (laughs) They're taking my rainbow. Yeah, as Jesus Christ lives, it's a promise from heaven. Every time you see one, and I say, shout it out loud wherever you are. Soon enough, you're going to see one on my Jeep. I'm going to put it there. It's not going to be the same one they use, but it's going to be a rainbow for sure. Yeah? I chased the rainbow. So for three weeks, we're going to follow the rainbow out of Noah's promises into the rest of the Bible. And what we find is it goes to the highest heights of heaven just right away. In the book of Ezekiel, you get everything about how God is. And it's like, but make sure you realize it's all a rainbow. That's the end. That's where we're going to finish the sermon today. We're going to get there by going through Isaiah into that Revelation text that we looked at. And then we'll go from there to to Ezekiel. Kind of reverse order of, of, of things, but not really, because Isaiah is the one who first sees this. Moses probably saw it on the Burning Mountain. Uh, but Isaiah is the first one who records this throne room of God. That's going to start then, Isaiah 6, on page 571 of your pew Bible. I mean, this is a Bible study effectively, so please take one out and, and look up page 571. Um, if you've got your own Bible, that's always better. And don't be afraid to take some of those note cards in the pew and make a note. A good note is uh, chapter 6, verse 3 of of. Uh, Isaiah's vision. This is called the call of Isaiah. We looked at this about, I don't know, nine months ago, if you recall. But I just want to touch on here, verse three again, where you know, he sees these seraphim, he calls them in verse, verse two, and they're crying out to each other in constant song. And this constant song that never ends, ends says, well, first, holy, 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 knows the three in one. The Trinity is just right there. And that word holy means so unique and different that it's not creation. That's the meaning of the word holy. It means not created. Now that we've been declared holy by God, isn't that something? Yeah, by proximity to him, as created things, we are holy from his uncreated nature that he shares with us. He sets us apart. But he himself is set apart threefold. Not just two plus two, but what happens when you cube it? It gets big and crazy fast. Uh, holy, holy, holy. It's all meant to display how far away he is from us, how impossible it is to get to him, how he's not inside of creation, right? In the tree, in the rock, Yoda style. It's not what he is. Holy, holy, holy. He is set apart, but the whole earth reflects what he is. 
And so when you sit outside and you watch, did you see the sunset last night and the clouds to the west, the pink? It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And, and you sit and you see that and say, oh, I feel God in that. Well, God bless you. You're right. God made it. Absolutely. Every feeling you have, God made those too. So you're right. You feel God. But see, you mean something different. You mean God's like there for you to be saved in the sunshine. And I'll tell you, you've been sunburned. <laughs> uh, it, it's, God's not in the sunshine. He made the sunshine. It reflects his glory. It's for your good. That distinction, holy, 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 is peeled back here in these texts in just mind-blowing ways. And Isaiah is not going to see much more. He sees smoke. He sees an earthquake. And he sees a big, big cloak. And when you see Jesus in in, uh, Ezekiel, he's not cloaked. He's like transfigured, right? Fire coming out of him. But right here, he's got it all cloaked. It's hidden. Mercy is what this is. Mercy, showing the divide between man and God, which did indeed in time exist because Christ had not yet come to fulfill the completion. We're going to see that more in a moment. But first, um, let's just talk about these these seraphim real quick. He describes them in verse 2. You know, they're going to be called living creatures later. Um, Each has six wings. So they have at least six wings. Later, it'll say other stuff. Two cover the face, two cover the feet, two they fly. Um, and, uh, let's see, I believe that's all we get of them. Uh, yes, that's all we get of them here. So just a taste. And, and what I want you to see then is like, it's like there's this massive throne room with all this glory, the greatest experience ever. And the door just cracks open and Isaiah just gets to see in. It's just like that. And he's done. He's done. No rainbows yet. Right. It's there. He just, he doesn't even have time to think about it. It was too much. And basically he starts saying how I'm going to die. And God's like, it's okay, I'll burn your face with some coals, it'll be good. And he's like, okay, and then it happens, now he can preach. Uh, that's, that's his story, right? But, but we're going to jump from this now to that Revelation text where you heard the same song by the same creatures. Holy, holy, holy. So we're going to go look at that. Our Revelation is going to be at the end of your Bible. Uh, don't have a page number for you immediately, but I'll get that for you. Uh, page 1030 is where chapter 4 is. And we're going to go through this verse by verse, hopefully loosely, not, not chasing too many rabbits, but um, I, I want to let the whole picture form up, uh, and then we'll go back and we'll look at Ezekiel, and we'll kind of ask, well, what, what's different? Right? Uh, what happened uh, is the important question, really. Uh, so uh, John says, after this, I looked, and behold, after this, what's, what's the after? Well, chapter 1. He's on Patmos, right? We've done this before. Uh, and, and he's in prison effectively. Uh, the church is okay, but persecution is coming. And he has this amazing vision of Jesus. Jesus looks like a, an old man who's a young man who's filled with like fire in his eyes and his legs are burnished bronze. And he shouts like waters of many waters. And he says, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it really loudly. Uh, and then he says, write these things down. And he writes seven letters to seven congregations in Asia Minor. We've talked about those, in fact, our, our run toward the tomb series, right? We looked at Philadelphia. We looked at Laodicea. Um, so that all just happened. After this, behold, I saw a door standing in heaven. Now, I'm going to have to get ahead of myself a little bit. I already said, what's the difference? And we haven't gone back to look at Ezekiel to tell you the difference, but this is the difference. There's a door. There's a way up. Ezekiel, there's no way up. What you're going to see happen in Ezekiel is that we are so segregated from God that he's completely outside of us. And there's like a crystalline cosmology between us and the living creatures, the angels. Uh, when, when Ezekiel sees the angels, they're underneath this dome and they can't 
get quite to God or God has separated himself from us, you know, like a cloak. Only now the cloak isn't like a dark cloak. It's this crystalline firmament, this sky that's between and is chaotic and, and fractured. But now again, John sees a door. And I love how, how uh, you know, he says, I heard a voice speaking to me like a trumpet, right? So it wasn't like, hey, John, come on up. It wasn't like that, right? This was like, I'm going to go really date myself here because there's probably only like three guys who played Mortal Kombat 2 on the Super Nintendo. Uh, but if you did, then you remember Scorpion who threw a chain across the screen to grab the other guy. They grabbed the other guy that pulled it. And whenever he pulled it, he said, get over here. Just like that. Come up here. Through the door, up into the chaos of glory. Okay. Why do I shout? It was well, like a trumpet again. I don't know. Did I sound mean? I didn't mean to sound mean. I meant to sound like, like, follow me. You know, more like that, right? And so that's what he gets. Get up here. And I will show you what must take place. It says, after this, um, one of you at first service, you're like, Pastor, when you quibble with the translation, my translation isn't always different. And so, that's a problem, isn't it now? It really is a problem. It's why translations are a challenge is because there's so many of them now. What do the words mean? But this word after in English only means later in time. And you just need to know it doesn't only mean that in Greek. It also can mean like standing behind me. So I prefer to see, I will show you what takes place after this. As instead of being like about the future, it's more like what you don't see that's going on right now. I will show you what's taking place behind the churches in Asia Minor. And at once I was in the spirit and I saw a throne. Not the future, not the past, right today. Yeah. I saw a throne. And you're going to know from Ezekiel, which we'll get to, this throne's made of sapphire as like one giant sapphire. Um, And the one seated on the throne, he's effectively made of fire. Ezekiel will tell us that his bottom half is kind of like, you ever see like a genie? Or like they're, they're made of like cloud on the bottom half and they float around the tops like the human half, right? Art, art does it sometimes. It's kind of like that, only the bottom's all fire. <laughs> uh, and then the top looks just like a man, only he's a man made of fire that's become solid. Which I don't quite know how to picture that. I can, I can, I can taste the picture, right? But I can't quite do it. So he sees all of that. We'll come back and show you where I got that. But he adds this piece. Uh, that he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. So now his body, uh, as opposed to being just like burnished bronze, you know, molten metal is kind of the, the Ezekiel version. This molten metal has become a, a gem. Several gems. He can't tell you which one. Very rare ones, but not, you know, sapphire and emeralds. Just, just these, these precious stones. This is the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the human flesh is what that is. This is eternal body. The first man of the dust, the second man of heaven. When he comes again, he will be as he is. These are promises in the rainbow. <laughs> what a, we haven't even gone anywhere yet. This is just starting. Let's go back. Uh, okay, so come up after this there. He is Jasper Carnelian. I don't even know what color this are. Jasper's black, I think, maybe. Carnelian, there's debate about these. But notice around the throne, there it is. A rainbow that's also turned to crystal. (laughs) In Ezekiel, it's a fire. It's a rainbow. Now it's solidified into a new creation, right? A new creation that emanates from the risen Jesus Christ's very human, very male body is no longer a promise, but is fulfilled in him. And he prepares the place with many rooms. There it is. This crystalline emerald rainbow through which he looks at you all the time. 
He always sees you through that. That's the meaning of this. This is who your God is to you. Um, coming back to it again. Now, new stuff. This is different. These, these guys were not there in Isaiah, and they won't be there in, in Ezekiel. That around the throne are 24 other thrones. Huh? And seated on them, 24 elders, male, it says, uh, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Well, by chapter 7, we're going to find out there's a lot more than 24 people. There's a lot more than 144,000 people for you Jehovah's Witnesses on the internet. Yeah, there's, there's an uncountable multitude clothed in white garments that they have washed in the blood of the Lamb, I quote. So we can assume right now that's this group just early in representation. These 12 and 12 represent that great uncountable number that's going to be singing as soon as the seals are broken on the scroll. Okay, and so we're there. This is us. We are the 24 elders. You might picture them as Judah and Reuben and Joseph and Peter and James the Lesser, not not James the Elder, uh, Peter and uh, uh, James, uh, son of Zebedee. You You might picture them as the apostles and the patriarchs. That's fine. They are those guys. That's who John sees. Just don't be too modernist about this where you're like, this only happens literally at one time in history. This is all the time symbolized. All the time symbolized on either side of the throne of God is a people made up of 12 that he sent, and they're on thrones with crowns. They're not hiding in caves saying, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They're not worried about collapsing dollars or stolen markets or free and fair elections or any such thing. They're walking like pilgrims toward a better place, seated on thrones. And we're going to see these thrones, they're anything like God's throne. They got wheels. <laughs> That's Ezekiel too. Uh, you have a throne. It's your body. It's redeemed already. It still feels like before the resurrection, but you can believe it's after the resurrection for you too, because he is risen. Hallelujah. All right. So let's move on. I don't want to get too, I said the rabbits, I'm chasing them already. Uh, uh, From the throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne are seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So the throne itself hasn't changed from Ezekiel. This throne is, let's use the word glorious. And then let's use the word awesome. And then let's remember that awesome, before surfers got a hold of it, used to mean scary, not good, scary. You know, when you go down a 100-foot wave, that is awesome, actually, right? Um, But it's become sort of like, oh, pizza, awesome. Well, not so much, right? Uh, This is an awesome throne. And the awesomeness of it in Ezekiel is that it's just got flaming fires. I mean, think the rock concert, think WWF, think whatever you can imagine where they're shooting flames out of something as a big show, that's happening, right? Um, Now, in Revelation, that fire that you're going to hear about in a moment shooting out, it has been revealed to be just the Holy Spirit. Who is that underneath Jesus all along? Looked like he'd burn us to death. Just the Holy Spirit who he planned to pour out in great measure through water and the word to enliven your hope and faith in the coming kingdom that shall not pass away. It says seven spirits there. If you look in the Greek, it's, it's a weird formulation that has more of a problem because of the way our numbers work. 
the way we use singulars and plurals versus the way they would just as a language. So what's, what's optional here is that you can say this is seven spirits, like seven different ghosts, or you can say it's the sevenfold single ghost. And the Greek kind of lets you go either way. Um, well, I'll just use my old Lutheran principle. Remember this one? Scripture interprets Scripture. And since there's no seven ghosts of holiness anywhere in the Bible, and there's one Holy Spirit, and the word holy is the number seven many times. Seven means holy. Well, then the sevenfold Spirit of God pretty clearly is just the triune God's Spirit whom we confess. It's what we always have believed. Why would it change? And so there he is, though. Well, why would it change? Because you didn't see that in the Old Testament. You didn't understand that in the Old Testament. We've been revealed more now. It's clear that this isn't a roaring fire out of control. It's seven lampstands purifying and giving light to the feet that you may walk your path. Ah, so beautiful, yes? Uh, uh, Continuing on, before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. There's there's your sky. Okay, so we're going to get to Ezekiel. We're going to find that everything that's going on in Ezekiel is underneath this crystal. And now, come up here. The whole creation is now back on the other side of the crystal. The crystal, when you look at it in Ezekiel, it's going to be scary. It starts with a whirlwind. Think tornado. It's got fire and lightning coming out of it. That's, that's the crystal. And that's what's between you and God. And that's what Jesus died to put an end to. And now I baptize you. Take and eat. This is my body. Come up here. You're already there. One of the weirdest things the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3. Seems like a pretty normal book, right? Like, you know, by grace we have been saved, right? That's chapter two. But then in chapter three, it's like, and seated us at the right hand of God in him. Okay, so that means that right now you think you're seated on a pew. And you are, but you're also seated on Jesus' throne in heaven with him. That's, that's Christianity. Like, you can't not be that if you're a Christian, okay? And, and like, we're like, well, it doesn't feel like that. Well, yeah, no, because it's through faith alone. You see, you can only believe it. You can't actually feel it. You must believe it. It's through faith alone. Made by promises of God that you could see when they happened. Rainbows still do. <laughs> ah, not fun. Ah, so four living creatures are around this thing, right? The sea of glass like crystal. I'm sorry, let me say that. So what was a tornado from below is now an ocean with no waves. Which again, you can't even really, how do you, maybe a lake can get that still sometimes, right? You can see the reflection and all that. Yeah. So that's what this, this division between God has now become peace. That's what Jesus does. Around the throat, here are these, these living things then. On each side, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to sing. We'll come back to that again here. We started there. Um, so I'm going to put pieces together, and then you're going to, I hope, remember those as we look through the Ezekiel text. But if you try to take what Isaiah sees and what Ezekiel sees and, and what, uh, uh, what John sees, you try to draw a picture you come up with one of two options. You come up with an option where you have to be very imaginative and believe in miracles. And you come up with an option where it all makes sense to you. And in the option where it all makes sense to you, there are not four cherubim, seraphim, living creatures in heaven around the throne of God. 
there are an untold number of living creatures and of seraphim and of cherubim, and they're all different. And the people who would teach this, I trust that they're still good Christians, but the reason they teach this is they're too narrow-minded. They can't imagine that this blows their mind. (laughs) They can't imagine that. And so they have to have it make sense to them. This has been a problem in the church since the Protestant Reformation and the printing press. We decided God had to make sense. Some people don't think Jesus is in the supper, right? I mean, that's that's the same error effectively here. Um, But what these things are, I'm going to try to describe them to you in, in one big picture, just crunching it all together. So I want you to imagine the altar here is the sapphire throne. Right? He's got this big sapphire throne sitting here. And the dice that the altar sits on is like a square platform underneath the throne. And underneath that platform are these four angels. We use the word angel a little loosely. Right? It means messenger. It means heavenly being sometimes. They're not all the same. They don't look like little children. Um, they look like fiery, flaming eyeball beasts. Okay? Uh, they're, they're pretty intense. Yeah? Um, the hosts of heaven. There are four of them here who are spectacular, though, because they hold up the throne of God. So all of them you have to see as, in some way, bent under or holding up the throne above them by means of their wings that are stretching out to each other. And they're all facing in different directions, and they all have four faces. But their four faces are set up so that if you look at them directly, you'll only see four of the 16 faces on the four creatures, four different faces. But if you walk all the way around or say all of them turn their heads different directions at the same time, you see they each have four of each of the faces. That's the harmonization of all the texts in a moment. They're also surrounded by a glowing ball of fire, which is in fact a wheel within a wheel. I just called a globe or a a caster, (laughs) a a ball bearing, I believe also would kind of be the idea underneath this platform that the throne is on. And since it's on ball bearings, they can go any direction they want and they never make rainbows. They never curve. They never curve. They only go straight. So they lack like lightning wherever they go. And the throne of God goes where he wants, which is a big deal since it used to be stuck in Jerusalem at the temple. What's it doing now at Patmos? Well, Ezekiel helps us with that one a little bit too. But there you got the picture of these four living creatures. They, their bodies are glowing like fire and burnished bronze. They got eyeballs everywhere. They got hands sticking out all places too. They're just strangest things ever. Um, but, well, isn't, isn't truth stranger than fiction? Isn't the world we live in kind of marvelous, kind of bizarre? And I've been standing beside, up beside, behind my garage. There's this little wilderness space, a little forest space. And I've, I've been kind of staring at it for the last couple of days. Every so often I go out and just stare for a few moments. I think about it. Part of me wants to get up the nerve to like break out a machete and go, but I know there's poison ivy and ticks in there. And so I'm not quite, I'm not quite ready for that. But what I didn't expect, I've been looking for days. I've been looking at it for days. And I suddenly saw berries, 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 flower, oh, flower. Wow. Butterfly, butterfly. I'm going to follow that for a while. The glory of God in nature is unmistakable if you just breathe for a minute and look at it. The trick is the liars out there have told you you don't have time for that. Or it's a waste of your time. How dare you spend time for yourself looking at the sunshine? you know, you got things to do. Right? That's, that's the, the yelling that the world is doing to us. Uh, the nature then itself, if you pause and look at it, what this picture of these four living creatures should do is show you that all of it's under God still and under his control. And this is by means of what these four living creatures look like. First off, they all look like men in their body to some extent. The, the cool gamer concept would be humanoid, okay? Sci-fi, they're humanoid. Um, so let's think about that ox for a moment. We have humanoid oxes in our imaginations already. 
we call them uh, uh, minotaurs. Minotaurs. Right? We think of the bull. It's a little different than an ox. Well, the, the ox is, is just a wild bull um, that has been tamed uh, and is part of a, a kind that's a little different, of course, from a normal cow. It's closer related to something called the oryx. I do want to tell you about the oryx here because that's what this is. This is not an ox like you would see it at the fair in Winnebago. This is an oryx. They're close to 10 feet tall. They have multiple horns. History says they had horns on their feet. They're the most dangerous and untamable animal. Think of Bahamut from Job. Okay, We kill them all. They're gone. They were dangerous things. A lot of meat, though. Good red meat there. Yeah. So the ox, the oryx, also representative domestic creatures because there is the domesticated ox. But again, take that head now, and then the hooves actually are on the feet, and then put that on the body of a man that's like as buff as Arnold or something like that, right? And put him underneath this dice. So you have this ox that is wild but tameable, right? And then on the other side of it, you got a lion. Ooh, not going to tame that one ever, right? The, the kitty cat doesn't count. <laughs> and even the, the mid-sized bobcat, you ain't taming that one, right? Uh, so you have wild and domestic kind of there, all the animals. And we looked at this with the Noah's Ark thing, right? Those are the two first distinctions in animals in Hebrew is the wild ones and the domesticatable. It's all about how they relate to you. Are they dangerous to you or they help you, right? So, and then you have the birds, different class of creature altogether on a different day, put the fish with the birds, okay? And then you have man, the head of it all, who's then behind it all as bodily he's there. And then he's also there separately because we are our own species and creature. So in this way, all of creation is represented in song by their heads, spiritually speaking, in this moment by these creatures. Yeah. Uh, heaven and earth sing holy, holy, holy. Which is why, you know, anytime you stop and say, hallelujah, you're not alone. You just call on heaven to sing with you. They're already there. You got an angel around you somewhere. They're probably like wondering when you're going to open up your Bible and say some words because they need food. Now they're hungry. They're tired of you not doing anything except for spending time on yourself. Uh, they're, there to, they're there to care for you. They love you. Uh, they want well for you. They want order and grace in your life. Uh, so you know, open your mouth. Say, say holy, holy, holy this week somewhere. Um, I found a song uh, that I really enjoy. And it's so popular that it's been redone a number of times. Uh, if you want to listen to it, it's called uh, The Agnes Day. It's written by, there's many of those you know, but this one's by Michael W. Smith. And, uh, you know, it's, it sort of a, starts as a pop version, but it's been picked up by choirs all over the place because it's just a powerful sanctus. The holy, holy, holy moment in the song is, uh, it'll bring tears to my eyes. Um, and why am I sharing this here? Uh, one of the versions of that song that I enjoy listening to that I found, I went looking for others. I'm really looking for a heavy metal version. I'm not kidding. I really am. Haven't seen it yet. Um, but I do like that stuff. Um, I was looking and I found this one version that wasn't even the whole song. It was a whole congregation, though. And you got to think, box church, not like us, big praise and worship thing going on. Okay, we don't quite do it that way. We have reasons for that. They're still Christians. They're singing holy, holy, holy. And they're doing the thing Lutherans always complain about, which is they're only singing the same line over and over and over again. I don't know if you've heard that story when Lutherans are like, you can't do that. It's not good for you. I've heard that and I bought that live for a while. I don't think it's only good for you to sing the same line over and over again mindlessly. But I do think if you only sing songs that are too hard for you know, to know how to sing them without reading them, you won't be able to pay attention to them very much. So sometimes hearing something more than once is good for you after all. In fact, that's the path to memorization. 
hopefully, holy, holy, holy is memorized already. But I'm thinking all of these things as I listen to this one version of the song, which is just the holy, holy, holy part over and over again for like 15 minutes. No other words. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, first off, this is a little boring, actually. It's really pretty. It's really beautiful. But golly, I just got to get on to the next song. And that was when it all struck me. Holy, wait, 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 wait. They're doing in this song at this church what's actually happening in the book. And I heard it. I thought I need something else. So I stopped. I just started playing that around me all the time that I can because I want to hear the song of all creation. We sang about it, and this is the feast a little while ago. Same song from Revelation, right? Holy, holy, holy. It's not bad to repeat. Sometimes it's very good. Yeah. All right. They cast down their thrones. Worthy is the Lord. There's all that there. Let's get to Ezekiel for the last 15 minutes here, though. Um, so turn your way back to page 692. And as you get there, I will take a brief moment here. Uh, I'm just going to summarize the bit about the 30th year and the Kebar Canal and Jehoiakim and, and all that stuff. You know, this is during the early exile. Jerusalem gets conquered twice by Babylon. The first time they take away all of the young, good-looking, healthy, intelligent people who are effectively uh, the children of the nobility. And they, they take them all away and then they leave some of the nobility there and they say, don't, don't rebel again. And uh, Ezekiel's in that group. Daniel's in that group. You know, there's, a, there's a number, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They all end up in Babylon and they're never going to come back, right? This is the fifth year that they've been there. So Ezekiel's been there that whole time. He's just a priest. What's a priest do when there's no temple? This guy's, this guy's really got an identity crisis going on, <laughs> let me tell you. yeah. Uh, and in the midst of this identity crisis, he's sitting by a river. I mean, that's a good idea. Uh, the canals of, are what made Babylon what it was, that there's just so much water for all the people to gather, right? How do you build a city? You've got to have water. Um, he's sitting there, and then, and then the sky just opens, and he, and he sees, he sees it, the whole thing. What Isaiah saw, but no more than what Isaiah saw. He sees the whole thing. As, as clear a picture as we're going to get. Now, John gives us like what Jesus did to change what Ezekiel says, but Ezekiel's kind of the bedrock here of this entire thing. And I think this fact is just stunning. I, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't mean much to you. But I learned that um, when you were a, a male growing up in Jewish culture after Ezekiel, think, think 300 years before Jesus, think the Greeks are ruling, but you still can be Jews kind of, right? Um, and you're training in the synagogue because Herod's great temple hasn't been rebuilt yet, right? And so there really isn't a, a temple practice and uh, so you grow up and all you know is like, I work with dad in the wood shop and I get to learn the Hebrew and sing the Psalms. And then maybe someday they let me read from the scroll of Isaiah while it's, we're gathering together or something. And, you know, of course, the young men who want to have an identity will invest their identity in their religion. Why would you not do that? Why would you not do that? You invest your identity in your religion. So you start wanting to read what the Bible says, but the Bible doesn't come like this. The Bible is a big pile of scrolls at church. You don't get to take that home with you. Oh, no, no, no. That, that's deep. We've, only, we've had that for 300 years. It's falling apart. Only I get to read that to you. You got to sit and listen. That's how this all started, okay? That's how this practice started. Um, so, nonetheless, they did let you read. You go read the Bible. The men could go read the Bible. If you were a young man, how, how many young men here are under 30? That's pretty cool. How many young men here are between 30 and 40? This is an interesting look at that. Or one. Where is our generation? I'm a little older. Where is our generation? We're gone. 
sad. Young man, thank God you're here. Um, uh, <laughs> chasing rabbits again there. Uh, I will catch it when I get back. Unless you want to shout it at me. Where was I? Young men, before young men. Hmm? In the synagogue, the young men would not be allowed to read Ezekiel till they were over the age of 30. You weren't allowed to see this. Nobody talked about this. Why? Because it's nuts. It's nuts. It's crazy. Think about this guy. Would you believe this? He's sitting by a river. He falls over. Seven days later or so, he wakes up. He says, I saw God. Follow me. But the only way you do that is if everything he said comes true, which is what happens to Ezekiel. Right? But it's nuts. And they didn't want their young men just going off chasing dragons. Like literally. They wanted their young men to be founded and firm in Moses, which is understandable. Just like we should take Jesus' words seriously. We should take Solomon's words seriously. And we should let this be the cream on the top of the cake that we sing about. Yeah. So, so take this for what it is, is more of that image of what the rainbow means. What's the power behind the promise that God's going to save? This is the power by which he promises it. All right. So uh, starts in verse four then. Uh, I think we have time to do this. I looked... And behold, a stormy wind came out of the north. Just see it as like the biggest monsoon tornado you can imagine. This is God's presence as a destructive force. Or you could see this as God's presence behind nature, punishing nature by punishing, punishing us by turning nature into a force of wrath, right? So when you look at the world, if you're honest, and, you know, don't have the power to plug in your refrigerator today, you'll be worried about surviving. That's how it is. It's a whirlwind out there. And modern life is even more like this because now all the threats are like these little tiny imaginary things that we have to chase. Paperwork and bureaucracy and all this stuff. It was a lot easier when you just shoot the wolf, go back to bed. No, it's not like it anymore, right? It's a whirlwind. It's an absolute whirlwind out there. A great cloud that's going to reference Moses and Mount Sinai, where God comes down in the pillar of cloud with brightness all around it and fire flashing forth continually. So this just amazing storm of brightness and fire, yeah? the top of which is going to be this throne that we just talked about from Revelation which let's just start here at the beginning and brightness shown all around it. He doesn't tell you to the last verse, that's a rainbow. It's a rainbow in the brightness. You ever seen rainbow lightning? It does exist. Um, apparently it's pretty powerful too. It, it's a rainbow lightning storm uh, coming at you. Uh, flashing fire continually. In the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So this attempt to describe fire that's solid, they keep calling it metal, right? And that makes sense. It's like molten stuff. Uh, from the midst of it came these four living creatures. They're all like a man. It says a human likeness there. It's a very tame and modern way to diminish the power and the distinction of man and woman. Um, but nonetheless, they all look like men holding this thing up. Each has four faces. There we see they each have the four. They have four wings, at least that are out holding this thing up, right? Uh, Isaiah sees wings under their feet, wings over their eyes. So uh, distinguish that. Uh, their legs are straight. So they end up being like calves' feet at the bottom. So this is animal nature again. You might think of anything that has the breath of life in it is another way to talk about the, these creatures. Uh, 
Uh, da, 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 da. Verse eight, under their wings on their four sides, they had human hands. I was like a hand in your armpit. I don't, I don't know how to imagine that one. Uh, but they have human hands and the four had their faces and their wings thus. All right. So from here on, it's going to get annoying to read this. So bear with me. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces and their wings spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went without uh, turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like the burning of coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, if, if that was kind of like a left turn and a right turn and then a U-turn, um, the, the Hebrew's worse. <laughs> the Hebrew... It really is like a guy had a vision for seven days, woke up, said, I had a vision. Someone had paper. And he's like, ah, but da, but da. And then, ah, mm, ah. It really is how the Hebrew reads. Like he's just trying to describe it and he doesn't even know what he's saying. It's like, I saw it. I don't know. And so that is there. What do we get out of this? Kind of what I've already said. Um, can we add to it just that as they move about, remember, they're going to have these wheels in a moment that are around them. Um, they're holding up this thing like it's on a four wheeled car only the wheels go every direction at once and when they go every direction at once they decide to change their minds a lot so they drive like lightning wherever they feel like it right all over the whole earth which again if you can imagine then in the instant god like lightning can look anywhere he wants or in fact he's always looking everywhere at the same time like that's kind of what it means but now to describe what that looked like, he's going to talk about these wheels. And I tell you, you know, I, I, I like these wheels. I, it's pretty cool. Uh, verse 15. I looked at the living creatures. I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. Right? So they've each got a wheel. And in the ancient world, what did a wheel look like? You know, a stone cylinder, right? Turned into maybe a wooden circle with some spokes. About as good as you're going to get for a very long time. Not a lot of creativity on wheels uh, for a while. Uh, so how would you describe a, a wheel that's a globe or a ball if you'd never seen a ball bearing? Right? How would you do that? Right? Well, he's going to call it a wheel within a wheel. Now, you take one wheel and another wheel. And so I can go this way and I can go that way whenever I want, right? Well, we would just see that. Oh, that's a... It's a ball bearing. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's what he sees here. And those are going to be around these guys, right? As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like gleaming of barrel, like a shining gemstone. Uh, the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. So another connection to the earth is the number four. And the fact that they don't go diagonally at all limits them to being the number four, which connects them to the earth. They can get anywhere, just two steps to do it. Uh, and their rims, what rims? Wheels within wheels. They got rims on globes. I don't know how. 
Their rims were tall and awesome, though, and awesome doesn't mean cool. It means it's scary. Like, don't get run over by the monster truck. Fire's coming out the side of this thing. Yeah? And when the living creatures uh, went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So God's throne is like this super almighty off-road, all-utility, all-cosmology vehicle made up of creation itself. Uh, It's his footstool. It says it that way, another way, but I, I... I can't help myself. If God's going to build a Jeep, he's going to put rims on it. And they're going to have exploding fire coming out the side. I think every young man in this room should be excited about that. God knows this stuff, right? So above their heads, remember I talked about the sea of glass? It's not a sea of glass. Now it's a stormy crystal. Above the expanse was the likeness of a throne. Um, Oh, I skipped the expanse. Where'd it go? Sorry. Uh, Let's start with... Yes, verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse. Old King James firmament. New American English sky. Sky. Um, An expanse of sky. Shining like an awe-inspiring crystal. So now this sky is solid, right? But solid the way, say, a snowflake is when you get way down and look at those little definitions of it, right? Or you might imagine a Lois Lois Daly. a lace doily, a lace doily. There we go. You might imagine a lace doily that's made of crystal and like so big as the sky, it covers the whole world. It's spread out over the heads of everybody, right? So remember, come up here. They're not up there. He sees heaven and even heaven's going to be separated from God by this amazing crystal blockage he's put on, which you might imagine being like the canopy that Isaiah covers himself, or that he covers himself with for Isaiah. Isaiah doesn't see him, right? Uh, now we see him through the canopy, yeah? Under that expense, though, the wings of the living creatures stretch out toward each other. It talks more about their wings, the sound of waters, the sound of an army. Uh, they stand still, their wings drop. And the voice comes from above the expanse, and they let down their wings. Okay, so that's all kind of the same idea. Verse 26. And then above this sky of crystal, over their heads, there's the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. We covered that earlier, but there it is in the text. And seated above the likeness of a throne, there was a likeness of a human appearance. Here's a man. And I'll be very frank here. Human appearance is not good Hebrew. It's not even good English. No one talks like that. Have you seen my son and his human appearance? Isn't he masculine? We don't talk that way. This is a man. He saw a man, and this man is our king, Jesus Christ. And if we can't say that, we got real problems, real problems. There was a likeness of a man upward from what had the appearance of his waist. He's afraid to call him a man because he's not incarnate yet. The appearance of his waist is a man's form, but again, this gleaming metal, man, solid fire, solid fire, not gaseous fire, but solid fire. Uh, and upward, uh, Excuse me. Uh, Upper from what he had, the appearance of his waist, I saw his gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. Yep. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, as I saw it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, right? So 
again, the best I can do for this picture, if you've ever seen kind of a cartoon genie, think Aladdin, you know, Aladdin, you know, the genie's got a really big human upper body, and then he's got this like little tiny gaseous tail that kind of floats around underneath him, right? And, and there's a lot of cartoons that'll do that kind of thing. So just replace the little gaseous tail with like, again, you know, monster truck rally fire bursts coming out everywhere, all right? And then gleaming, gleaming metal body on top. And then remember that, verse 28, like the appearance of the rainbow. The whole time, the whole thing. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So is the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord is the first confession of the New Testament church, the Acts church. Jesus Christ is Lord. What they mean is when they look back and you see this, you say the glory of the Lord, you realize that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And he's looking down at the evil world that has rebelled against him and the fire of his rage is real and all he wants to do is save you. Save you from it. And so he puts that rainbow between him and us to remind him of that. So he'll stay his hand even when evil things happen so he can save you again. So the earth would last long enough. He destroyed it with the flood so it would last so that he could come into it and die and rise and send that word out through time and space with water in order to baptize your parents, maybe, or your friend who told you. Who brought you to the waters in order to baptize you? All of it. All of it. Us. <laughs> uh, in order to baptize ye. That's the plural for you. Ye. Uh, all of it. So as we continue to chase the rainbow, we're not done yet. We're going to be in Ezekiel and Revelation a bunch, though, as we do it. Uh, my hope in all of us this summer is that we become a congregation that's just not afraid anymore. Like, what are we, what are we waiting around for? What are we worried about? What are they really going to do? And frankly, I don't think many people are going to do much except for just try to get what they can without doing much from any corner they live in. Because that's what wicked people do is they don't work and they steal quietly. And they tell themselves they're not doing it. And as that's happening to our society, regardless of who thinks they're doing what, we're watching an infrastructure collapse built upon people not doing good where they are because they don't think they should or they don't think they have to. I just don't want to be like that. I want to be people who just do good. I don't care if you pay me. I, mean, I do, I need to eat, right? But like, but like, shouldn't I do good anyway? I won't do good unless you pay me. Like, what is that? That's America is what that is. It's America is what that is. So I want us to be a people that reforms America. And the way we're going to do it is by trusting that God is with us. And that no matter what stories they send our way, even if they hijack the greatest promise in the entire history of the world, all they've done is given us the weapon with which we will defeat them soon. In Jesus' name.